We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. Today we have breaking news straight from the national floor front. You may be thinking all these ideas going through your head. Oh, they're going to talk about this, this, or this. But... I think this is going to be a new topic to our listeners as to what our breaking news is from. This news is so big, we are bringing in a guest straight from Washington, D.C. to fully help us understand the full picture. Tana and Rachel, I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation today. Let's start talking Recovering America's Wildlife Act. And you're going to hear us talk about RAWA. That's what we're going to use so we don't have to go say the big name of it. So RAWA, again, is the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. And just why it is so important to our conservation efforts is what we're talking about today. Tana, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guests straight from Washington, D.C.? Absolutely. This is so exciting today. And oh, yeah, you guys know state agencies have like a reputation of using all the acronyms. So we're going to throw a couple at you today but we'll be sure to define them multiple times. I'm excited to introduce our guest, Patty Allen. She's the Director of Communications with the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, or AFWA, another fun acronym for us. Patricia's going to help us fully explain RAWA and why it's so important. So welcome, Patricia. Uh, good morning. Thank you. Well, Patty, we are so excited to have you today. But before we get started talking about RAWA, would you please tell us maybe a little bit more about yourself and give us a little bit of background on where you're from and kind of how you came into the position you're in today? Uh, thank you. Yes, absolutely. So again, my name is Patty Allen. And uh, first, I want to thank you all for inviting me to She Goes Outdoors. Very exciting. So a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up in a one stoplight town in upstate New York. Uh, so K through 12, uh, one building, little, little dinky town, uh, absolutely loved it, gorgeous. But as a girl, um, I was never invited to really do anything outdoors, no hunting, no fishing, no one in my family did any of this. So I didn't have any firsthand exposure. But one summer, I spent a few weeks at a camp in the Adirondack Mountains up in upstate New York and just fell in love with the outdoors, with wildlife, basically everything to do with it. So uh, fast forward from, uh, from uh, 19, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, I, uh, I go ahead, I, I get my master's in wildlife and fisheries biology because that's how much I love the outdoors. I get hired with the Maryland Department of Natural Resources. And here is where I really started to, to blossom. Um, I started doing uh, wildland firefighting. I was banding birds. I was helping with bear den surveys, uh, teaching in Byrathon, um, lots of outreach and education with the public. Uh, also during that time, I learned how to hunt. I learned how to fish. I uh, became even more involved with the outdoors with kayaking and hiking and pretty much anything you can think of. Uh, I actually became a certified hunter education instructor. Remember, I'm, I'm the person who 
had no exposure to this at all. And I went all the way to becoming hunter education instructor. Uh, so I was teaching children and women to, to hunt, uh, be safe with their firearms. I became involved with the Maryland Becoming an Outdoors Woman program. Uh, I was the lead for basically all things information, education, and communication for my unit at the Maryland Department of Natural Resources and absolutely loved my job. Now, fast forward a little bit more, and this is where I am today. I'm working for an amazing organization called the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, or that fun acronym, AFWA. And basically, I'm doing a a lot of the same things, just on a much larger scale, because the association works with all 50 state fish and wildlife agencies. So instead of just being confined to one state, I get to travel and, and check out all these things that are going on across the country. So i uh, give you a little story, like my first, my first year working at the association, I got to go to Wyoming at a conference. And there I was able to go, you've heard of the black-footed ferret and how it was thought to be extinct. And then they found it on this, this ranch and they were able to bring it back uh, from what they thought was extinction to a viable population. And I was actually there on that original ranch where they released the, the black-footed ferret back to, to the wildlife, to, to, to the population, because they had to remove something because the, the black plague was actually going through and wiping out um, the remaining little pocket of black-footed bears. So they had to capture them, raise them in captivity, and then finally re-release them. So I got to be there for that, that release. And I have to tell you that that inner biologist geek that's in my brain was doing cartwheels during all of this. I was so excited. So um, basically, I love working with all of our members across, across the country. And I'm, I'm one of those lucky people who, who loves my job. And when you see her name coming through an email with these big announcements, I don't, it's like one of the first emails I stopped to read like thoroughly through. Like she's got some cool information here for us to read. I just wish our listeners could see the excitement coming off of Tana's face when <laughs> when Patty mentioned the inner biologist geek, just just Tana's whole face lit up. And I know she hit a chord. So I'm gonna throw it to Tana because I know she has a follow-up question. Oh yeah, no, I totally get that. And I love it. Patty, I can't imagine. I mean, you are such a such a great fit for this podcast with all of your experience and you know, you're an awesome example of R3 bringing, being brought all the way through that recruitment, retention, and kind of reactivation stage through your mentorship. It's really cool to see, and we're happy to have you on. I am curious, you had talked about AFWA and that you work with all the different state fish and wildlife agencies, and that's so cool. I can't imagine how many plates you have spinning at once. Can you give us a couple examples of some projects you've worked with states on um, and kind of narrow that down a little bit for us? Well, I don't want to just talk about what I do. The association, we're we're so big and we we help with so many different things. We represent all the North American fish and wildlife agencies to advance sound science, uh, science-based management and conservation for fish and wildlife and their habitats and their public interests. So we work with our state agency members on Capitol Hill and um, before the administration to advocate for fish and wildlife conservation policy and funding and work to ensure that all entities work collaboratively on the most important issues to all, all the different uh, states. So the association, we provide basically coordination services because a lot of state agencies, they can't do anything beyond their borders. But 
fish and wildlife problems, they go beyond borders. They go, you know, to multiple states, to regions, to the entire country. So we're there to help facilitate and work with all those different uh, state agencies, as well as our federal partners and tribes and other nonprofits to work in a collaborative manner to address these issues, to make sure that it's being taken care of and um, handled on, on that large scale, something that a state agency by itself can't do. We also coordinate services uh, as well as uh, species-based programs that range from birds to fish habitats to energy development to climate change to the state wildlife action plans to conservation education, leadership training, and international relations. So we, we really run the gamut and uh, work with the states on a number of issues on uh, you know, a, a very large scale. So basically we're the, the voice of fish and wildlife agencies. <laughs> it's such a critical role because when you think of wildlife populations and, and a lot of the different things that we're dealing with, they don't stop at the border, right? We talk, especially with like bird populations with flyaway zones. So you're talking about, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30 different states that are all affected because of one species you know, flying through. And so it's amazing and and so needed to have that kind of bigger entity that knows what's going on and can help and and say, hey, maybe you should reach out to so-and-so to work on this collaborative. Because just, I think a lot of times here in state agencies, we get pretty narrow-minded, like, well, this is what we're focusing on. And we lose sight of this whole big picture and, and just having that connection with with our other states, our region, and then kind of what's going on in in D.C. um, on that federal level is just so imperative. So we're so excited to have you today and and to really learn more. So thanks for joining us, Patty. Oh, thank you. So the breaking news, and we're going to jump back into what this breaking news is, is that RAWA, and it's that acronym RAWA, and and we've been hearing some some conversation about it here in our agencies, but what does that really stand for, and what would it do for us, and how is AFWA involved with RAWA? Let's let's get into the deep of this breaking news. All right, I'm happy to answer that. So RAWA uh, stands for Recovering America's Wildlife Acts, a very important piece of legislation. AFWA, the association, we coordinated what's called the Blue Ribbon Panel on Sustaining America's Diverse Fish and Wildlife Service. So this panel uh, comprised of 26 national businesses um, and conservation leaders um, from outdoor recreation, retail and manufacturing, to energy and automotive industries, private landowners, education institutions, conservation organizations, sportsmen's groups, and state fish and wildlife agencies. So if you can imagine all of these people from that wide array of just backgrounds sitting around the table and they all had one charge. Their charge was to examine the current system of conservation funding and recommend a new mechanism that will conserve all fish and wildlife because our current system just can't keep up anymore. And this was important to all of them. And so from that discussion, they were able to come up with what turned into the Alliance for America's Fish and Wildlife. It was established in 2017. And that was 
the alliance that brought all of these different groups together across the country that created or drafted the Recovering America's Wildlife Act with the purpose to secure funding for much needed conservation for our most precious natural resources, our fish and wildlife. So the Alliance for America's Fish and Wildlife um, was able to bring uh, our partners together and introduce the bill Recovering America's Wildlife Act. So as our listeners know, I'm a little bit of a history geek. And so we got to bring it back. We're going back 1937. We have Nevada Senator Key Pittman. We have Virginia Congressman, Mr. Robertson. And they proposed the Pittman-Robinson Act. So it was actually the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act of 1937. It was signed into law by Franklin Roosevelt. And this act was brought on by sportsmen and women where they they actually implemented a excise tax on themselves. So they decided that they wanted to put an 11% excise tax on sporting arms and ammunitions. These funds would then be used to acquire and improve wildlife habitat, research wildlife problems, survey, and, and just really aid in states in caring for their land and, and their fish and wildlife. So, so these, these funds then just, we brought in arrows, bows, and, and different archery components also. So this pool of money goes back to the state agencies, and that's how a lot of the states function based on this act. So my understanding is this RAWA is kind of souping up that original act from 1937, Patty, am I, am I going down the right line on this one? You're, you're going down the right line. So as you're saying, for, for generations, uh, America's sportsmen and women have essentially led the charge in conservation for our nation's fish and wildlife resources by contributing to those state-based conservation efforts by sale of their um, state licenses, so that the hunting licenses, the fishing licenses, and so on, and also that federal excise tax, that Pittman-Robertson fund. And you also have the Dingle-Johnson Act as well. So the Pittman-Robertson, that money goes to the wildlife side, and the Dingle-Johnson goes to, to the fishery side. And so basically, it's these, these sportsmen that, through the the license sales, and then through this federal excise taxes, that is what's been uh, funding most of the, the conservation in the states for, for generations. It's, it's been going on for many, many years. And th- I mean, that that's, that's the main, uh, and in some states, the only funding source for fish and wildlife conservation. And most people don't know that. They think it's their, their general taxes that are, are paying for this, and, and it's not. It's what these sportsmen and women are doing instead. So let's talk about how this idea, the RAWA, was introduced. I've got to bring this up because from my understanding, it was actually a Nebraska representative that was on this initial committee, uh, Jeff Fortenberry, a Nebraska representative that brought it to the forefront of this idea to legislation to get this moving. Uh, Patricia, will you tell us a little bit more about how Fortenberry and other, a team of them brought it to the forefront and how was it really introduced? So yes, our champions, which included uh, Jeff Fortenberry from Nebraska and also Debbie Dingle um, from Michigan, she 
are, they came together to create this bipartisan bill. And it was really important that this be a bipartisan bill. We didn't want it to be a, a Republican bill or a Democratic bill. It's, like, it's, it's important to everybody. It is that important. And so we have two champions, one on either side, come together, um, basically arm in arm saying, this is important to all of us and we need to get this across the finish line. So the bipartisan bill, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, was introduced uh, into the House. Um, this year it was done on Earth Day. So a perfect day for it to be introduced into the House of Representatives by uh, Dingell and Fortenberry. And also the, the, this, their sister bill in the Senate was introduced uh, last month, July, by Senators uh, Heinrich and Senator Blunt. So we have you know, both bills uh, in, in, on Capitol Hill right now, and we're, we're hoping that it can get across the finish line this year. Uh, and on the House front, I mean, there currently are more than 100 bipartisan co-sponsors in counting on the bill. So that just shows the, um, the support that we have and, and how important it is for our entire country. And, and both sides see that. And the bipartisan piece of this is so important right now. And that, like you said, like you've, you have uh, stressed, Patricia, that this is for everyone. This is for our agencies. This is for the general public. This is for everyone. So I appreciate you stressing that to our listeners. All right, Patty. So this is so exciting. You've made it clear that it, it does benefit everybody. I'm super jazzed about this. If you can't tell, why specifically is RAWA important to state fish and wildlife agencies? Or what are maybe some um, different avenues that that funding will be allocated to? And then by default, why is RAWA passing important to our listeners as well? All right. Well, you got a couple of questions in there. I'm very happy to, to answer them. So the Recovering America's Wildlife Act establishes a 21st century proactive funding model for the conservation of fish and wildlife. So this is where the saying an ounce of medicine is worth a pound of cure comes in. The uh, act would uh, provide $1.3 billion per year for state fish and wildlife agencies and uh, about 97.5 million for tribal nations for the conservation of our vulnerable fish and wildlife. You might be saying, gosh, that's, that's a really high bill. Now, again, ounce of medicine worth a pound of cure. If these fish and wildlife go into the Endangered Species Act, if, if they're listed under that, it is billions of dollars per species instead of you know, there's actually relatively small amount in comparison um, to, to conserve the wide array and keep them from getting, from having to be listed under the Endangered Species Act. And, and the purpose of this, this act is to, to protect the, those vulnerable fish and wildlife from the ones that are heading towards becoming um, endangered. So we're trying to keep that from happening. RAWA would allow states to finance the full array of diverse fish and wildlife conservation for current and future generations. And it will expedite conservation efforts to recover species currently listed as endangered 
or threatened and help at risk species before they need that emergency room measures of the Endangered Species Act. So, and also proactive conservation, not only is it good for wildlife, it's actually good for taxpayers and is good for business and is good for our communities by directing funds to implement the state wildlife action plans through the Recovering America's Wildlife Act will be fueling shovel-ready projects that immediately create jobs in a sector with one of the highest return on, of investments or on investments and supporting the $788 billion outdoor recreation economy. So it just makes sense. Jeez, Patty, yeah, it's easy to see why this has bipartisan support. I mean, check that box, check this box, absolutely. So when we were discussing this topic before we got on today, one of the resources we found was at the National Wildlife Federation website. And they talk about America's wildlife crisis and cited some of those facts that you brought up. Just as an example for our listeners, you know, we all understand that wildlife is being threatened and imperiled, but just to give you guys like an idea of what that looks like, it's estimated that one third of the bird species in North America are in need of urgent conservation action. Reptiles in the United States, 33% of turtles are threatened and 5% of other reptiles are threatened. Freshwater mussels, you know, something that we might not think of on a daily basis. Over 70% of freshwater mussels in North America are already extinct or imperiled. And it's more than just, you know, the species themselves, but it's their contributions to our ecosystems. We all understand that there's, um, you know, nothing acts alone in an ecosystem. These animals, um, creatures, species benefit from each other. They benefit our system as a whole. Um, They might help with water quality, air quality, things like that. So, This is so big. I mean, it's bigger than we can really eloquently put into words. So I just wanted to share that resource. Um, More information about that can be found at nwf.org. It's under their our work slash wildlife conservation policy slash recovering America's Wildlife Act, if anybody is interested in learning more. Yes, thank you. And thank you for mentioning the the National Wildlife Federation, both the association, the National Wildlife Federation, and actually the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. That trio were were the ones that really initially led the charge. And we have so many partners support now that if if you go onto the the Alliance or the AFL website, you can see the whole list of of people who are are part of that alliance now and just have given us the, the support pushing the Recovering America's Wildlife. I just want to spotlight that 97 and a half million that's going to tribal uh, led wildlife conservation efforts. I think that's amazing because tribes own or influence over 140 million acres. And the common theme on our podcast is the lack of public land. So um, I, I think that's often an overlooked partner is tribal lands that we usually think federal, we think state, we think county and, and even city, but we often for, look over that, uh, that tribal land. And it's so important, especially in the West. It's amazing that they were brought in and obviously such huge partners on this um, to get all of those nations to support. It's, it's a pretty cool example of the partnership and the collaborative effort that AFWA and, and partners have taken. So listeners, get out there. <laughs> call call your legislators, you know, have that conversation and make sure they're one of those, you know, I think Patty mentioned a hundred other uh, supporters of the bill. Like 
get on them and, and, and have that conversation because you are their constituents and, and make your, your voices heard and ask them the questions that, that you want answered. So I guess I personally can't stress enough from my personal opinion, how important it is to be in touch with your elected representatives. Um, they are presenting you. And so take that time to have that conversation with them. Whenever I send an email, I always get one back. So uh, <laughs> you get out there and, and talk to it because it's such an important thing. It's, it's not just us personally, the overarching effect, the overarching reach of this act would just be monumental. And, and we're talking about Pittman Robinson that happened in 1937. We're talking about Dingle Johnson that happened, you know, a couple years after that. 1937, it's, I'm looking at the calendar, it's 2021, right? I mean, we're almost 100 years later and we haven't really done any, with the addition of bringing on archery. So I'll step back there and get off my soapbox, but we really haven't done that kind of big change. And, and as Patty mentioned, really trying to modernize it and bring it into that 21st century so that we have those funds to, to take care of, of the land and the animals that have been, that we are charged with protecting. So I'll step off soapbox, but uh, make your voices heard. So I'll, I'll pass it on. I'll pass the mic now. <laughs> Yeah, move over, Rachel, because I want a spot on the soapbox next. You and Patty have done such a great job bringing this up. If you, our listeners, are interested in ways to get involved, but you've never called a representative before, you don't know how to do that or what um, policies and procedures are in place, maybe consider checking out the Wildlife Society. Um, they've got a really great page up at wildlife.org policy slash Recovering America's Wildlife Act. And it gives you more information about America's uh, wildlife or about recovering America's wildlife act, <laughs> but then also has um, further information about how you can get involved. So there's different boxes you can fill out to take action. You can become a member of wildlife society and they also even have phone scripts. So if you do want to call a representative and you want to know exactly what to say to get your point across and voice your support, they have some suggested scripts available that you can make sure that you're communicating exactly what it is you want to communicate you do not have to be a wildlife expert or even be working in the field to voice your support for this. Um, so please, please, please take advantage of that. Again, the Wildlife Society has got some great resources and a downloadable fact sheet. So, all right, are we ending the soapbox? Should we jump down? Any additional resources you want to point our listeners to about how they can get involved? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, well, of course, on the Association of Fish and Wildlife website, we have a, a lot of resources and that is www.fishwildlife.org. And then there's also the Alliance um, website, and that is ournatureusa.com. And on that page, you can also hit the button, take action, and it'll take you straight to a page where you can submit uh, a letter or a message to your representative. You can just put in your basic information, um, you know, what state you're from, and then your drop-down box to what representative or representatives, and you can go ahead and do it that way. So there, there's so many different platforms and websites and, and ways that you can contact your representative that there's there's really no, in my opinion, no excuse not to be able to do it. So you have you have a lot of tools, a lot of tools in your toolbox, and hopefully you'll you'll utilize some of them. Yeah, and we'll drop some of these links um, when we post the episode to make sure everybody has easy access to those. You don't have to frantically write them down while you're listening. All right, I'm I'm looking to the future, and I've got my magic eight ball, and and this this has been awarded. This this act has been been signed, and it's in. 
how would the funds be used? How are they being allocated? What, uh, what could our listeners imagine that the money's going towards or, or what buckets are, is it going towards? Great question. Uh, well, first, what this would allow the states to do is implement their state wildlife action plans. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, what is that? Well, every single state, so your state, wherever state you're in, that state has drafted a state wildlife action plan. They go through uh, their entire inventory of fish and wildlife and habitat and bugs and everything and see okay, what, what is this, the status of all of that? Like, how are they doing? Are they doing well? Are they not doing well? What can we do? And everything that is not doing well or as well as they would like, uh, so those species of greatest conservation need, they list all of those. And not only do they list them, you don't want to just list them. It's like, okay, great, this, this needs help. But they create a plan for each of those species and how it can be recovered, what is needed, what they need to do. So they have a plan in place to recover those uh, species of greatest conservation need. The only thing they need is the funding to do so. So that's where the Recovering America's Wildlife Act comes in. So we know what's wrong. We know how to fix it. And all we need is the funding to be able to do it. So the states right now, they have a number of shovel-ready projects ready to implement. And all they need is the funding. So we're, they're ready to go. And as soon as the, you know that, that bill is signed, they can go forth and, and do fantastic work. Uh, a couple of the, the numbers you might be interested in is that not less than 15% of the funds will be used to recover the species listed, currently listed under the Endangered Species Act. So if you have it, you know, uh, something that's already listed on that, a percentage of the funds going to go to help recover those. So the, the funding will go to conserve that full array of diverse fish and wildlife species that are identified as state species of conservation, of greatest conservation needs. So that, that list uh, that each of the, the states have already made that saying, we know that these species, they need help. And this is how we can help it now that we can fund it and, and actually help those species. And also uh, up to an average of 15% of funds can be used over a five-year period for wildlife education and wildlife-associated recreation. So examples of that would include nature centers, programs for children and the public, community-based engagement and collaborations, wildlife viewing areas, trails, water trails and water access and so on. So those are just some, some tangible things that you can think of that would affect um, you, the listener, uh, and, and benefit you directly. It's easy to read words on a piece of paper and say, what? But when you get those tangible, oh, water trails, trails, wildlife viewing spots, nature centers. I mean, even my little brain can wrap my head around, oh, okay, now I can actually see that some of those monies at work. Saving wildlife populations sometimes is a super abstract concept where what what does it really mean? Um, and unless you're a, a true wildlife biologist or, or someone hand in hand with the work that's being done on the ground, you, it could look like prairie burning sometimes it could look like stream restoration or or changing channels or different things but but it's so nice sometimes to put it into perspective as to what that actually you know associates 
on the ground. So thanks for, thanks for bringing it down to my layman's terms. I appreciate it. (laughs) You know, we all have our roots in education too. And so seeing that 15% allocated for, you know, wildlife conservation education programs is so exciting because like Rachel said, it's easy to read something on paper of like, awesome. Our biologists were able to do this fantastic thing, but without that education, without that, like, okay, well, what is a black-footed ferret or why do I care? You know, it's a really vital component to making sure that we have that robust support and that people understand, are excited about what we're doing, you know, and understand how they can be involved as well. So I love seeing that go hand in hand. It's really exciting. So Patty, we, you mentioned a little bit earlier about where the funds come from. I think it's important that we stress a little bit more on exactly where do these funds come from? We hear that so often at the state level that my taxes are going towards that. My taxes are going towards that. But, you know, as an agency, we know where that's, that that's not true. From your level, will you explain to us, explain to the listener in more detail as far as where are these funds coming from to support RAWA? Well, the basic answer is um, is, is coming from the general fund. The, the funds in the general fund that we'll be taking from are those funds that are not allocated to any other program. So it's not being, it's not money that's being taken away from anything else. It's not being taken away from roads. It's not being taken away from education. It's not being taken away from any of that. Uh, it's, it's unallocated. And it's already in existence. It's already there. It's already a pot of money. Um, so no new taxes, no taxes at all that um, that will be for this. So it's, it's money that's actually already there. We're just asking for it to go towards fish and wildlife and not taking away from anything, just, you know, helping, helping the world, helping our country. What were we calling that yesterday, guys? We're calling that magic money. <laughs> <laughs> we were. It's magic money. Yeah, I, Julia and I, as moms, were talking about magic money just coming to our accounts every every month now, and and where it comes from, we don't know, but we appreciate it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this magic money actually has a start; it exists, and we know where it's coming from. Yes, so we're just we're just giving it a title, putting it in a column, and and now it has specific guidelines as to what it can be used for. So, I like this magic money. I'm kind of geeking out on external references today, too, because I'll be the first to admit when I don't know a ton about something. So we always like to do research here. Um, something I wanted to bring up, Patty, was the American Wildlife Values Study. So I know that um, the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, or AFWA, sponsored this project under the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's 2015 Multi-State Conservation Grants Program. So that's something that your team at AFWA has been involved with, or your um, your coworkers, your organization. So that's really cool to see. Um, in this like American Wildlife Value Study, it takes a peek at the way um, people in the United States view and value wildlife. So there are a couple different groups that this value study breaks people down into. Um, one of those is traditionalists. So just a really big, broad overview, because there's a lot of data and research that went into this. It's way over my head. But Um, Traditionalists tend to view wildlife as something that is there for their use and benefit. Um, There's also mutualists who take more of a view that wildlife is part of their extended network. Um, They're maybe more or less focused on the use base and more just the enjoyment and appreciation of the outdoors. There's also pluralists who see context where um, wildlife may be of our use in some contexts, but therefore our enjoyment um, purely just look and see in other ways. 
And then there's kind of um, the more detached or uninvolved folks. So the study is really interesting in that it wraps up all the ways that in North America we view fish and wildlife. If you jump onto this study, you can learn more about your state and how it breaks down with all the different American wildlife value studies. But one of the key findings was that there seems to be a trending away from that traditionalist mentality of wildlife is available for our use um, and kind of more of a consumptive use and toward more of a mutualist perspective. It's associated with kind of this uh, modernization, so increases in education, in urbanization, and in income levels. And we're starting to see that shift be echoed in some of our funding sources. So potentially, if Rawa passes, though, so, so what this would do if Rawa were to pass would, you know, potentially gone are the days where all of the investment and the burden and responsibility of funding um, fish and wildlife conservation and management in North America would come from our sportsmen and women, our hunters, our anglers through license sales and excise taxes, um, and would give more of a, a voice and more of an opportunity for investment from our diverse constituency of user groups. So it's a really exciting thing. Um, it's kind of addressing some of the aspects of that American Wildlife Value Study. So I would encourage folks to go check that out. If you're interesting, you can Google American Wildlife Value Study and it'll pop right up. Constituency. It allows everyone to become investors in fish and wildlife and not just our sportsmen and women who have done a fantastic job over you know, so many decades, like you said, close to hundred years at this point. Uh, but it, it just allows everyone to, to have a piece of that pie and help wildlife. So Patty, before I transition, because I'm pretty good at, at getting completely off topic, I wanted to, I wanted to see if, if you had any kind of parting words or thoughts on, on Rawa or anything that you want to leave our listeners with um, before we kind of change direction here as we're nearing that hour mark on our podcast. I guess just a few things. First, uh, as, as I've already stated, and I feel like it's it's so important that I need to, to state again, is please contact your representative You know, today. I'll, I'll even give you to tomorrow <laughs> to uh, ask them to support the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. Um, there's a lot of different platforms that have already been stated where you can, you can do that. Um, and, and one is OurNatureUSA.com. It's a very easy way to to reach out to your representative and just ask them to support this really important piece of legislation. And I guess as, as parting words um, is, you know, thank you for inviting me. And I, it's been an absolute pleasure and together we can recover wildlife. Awesome. I couldn't have summed it up better myself before we, before we kind of part ways, we have a program that's kind of near and dear to all three of our hearts, and that's the Becoming an Outdoor Woman program. And, and you kind of mentioned that you had, were part of Bo uh, or Becoming an Outdoor Woman in Maryland. So we just wanted to give you here a second or two, maybe a minute or two, whatever you want, to just kind of talk about that program, if you don't mind, and, and, and what you saw, what your experience was with Bo in Maryland. I was lucky enough to be the coordinator for the Maryland uh, Becoming an Outdoors Woman program for a number of years. Uh, had the privilege to work with a fantastic group of women um, coordinating these workshops and also working with the women who participated in these workshops. A lot of them were, were beginners, afraid of the outdoors or just not confident and and watching them blossom and gain that confidence and uh, ability to to do what they've always wanted to do, but were you know just a little bit afraid to do uh, because they didn't have that that mentorship or 
instruction to, to do that. For those of you who might not really know what the, the Becoming an Outdoors Woman is, it offers outdoor skills workshops specifically for women 18 years and older. Although, um, at least in Maryland, um, men are welcome to participate as well. And I think in most states, that's or all states, that's also the case. The workshop enables women to learn about a wide variety of outdoor recreational op- opportunities in a casual and non-threatening environment. And that's extremely important that it's a non-threatening environment. The, the classes are designed to be as hands-on as possible, given um, the participants enough knowledge to further their pursuit. Um, once the workshop is over. So it's a, it's a fantastic program. Um, I know uh, in Maryland, we have um, one really large workshop a year where we offer, it's a hundred different classes that you can choose from. And a third of them are hunting and shooting oriented. A third of them are fishing or angling oriented. And a third of them are all the other outdoor recreational. So kayak, uh, just a wide variety. And we would have women, because you could do, um, I think, four four different classes per workshop. So if you have 100 classes, you can go to the same workshop for 10 years in a row and never take the same class twice. And um, we've had a lot of women actually do that. And it's it's fantastic. It's it's such a great uh, program, and um, I think it just really empowers women to feel confident in themselves. I couldn't have summed it up better. The three of us have certainly seen it firsthand. That just kind of timid, shy woman that shows up and is a little unsure of being there, and then by the end of the workshop, you know, she's smiling ear to ear, so proud of what she's learned, and excited to share it with her family and friends. And that's that's really what it's all about. And we just wanted to kind of bring that up because I know Kansas and Nebraska are, are kind of gearing up for fall bow. Iowa was lucky enough to do our spring bow this year, and we're looking at some beyond bows coming up this fall, and then we'll be back uh, full swing next spring again. So I was going to say in the beyond bow, for those of you who aren't sure what that is, that's basically, it's a, it's a workshop that focuses on one very specific thing. So it could be a, a a hunt or it could be a kayaking workshop where you're you're going kayaking that day. It's like where it's just it's very focused on on one or two things instead of the wide plethora of of a little bit of everything. Oh, let's say BOW is not a new program. In fact, Nebraska, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary this year. We're having a big celebration at uh, one of our parks and we've sent postcards out to all of our past participants inviting them to come back for just a gathering and see each other and have some fun and so uh, it's been a lot of years of excitement and getting uh, females in the outdoors yeah I think it started what in 1991 in Wisconsin yes I think that's that's when it started yes Mm -hmm. so yeah so great that we're going to be able to get back to BOW this past year has been filled with sad cancellations and just uncertainty and even some fear to a degree. So we're really thankful to be able to safely bring those programs back to our participants, introduce new participants, hopefully. And um, like Patty said, just inspire people, get people out in the out. Um, I know in Kansas, and I think you all would agree, our hope is that you'll come to our programs, be introduced to a new activity and leave feeling empowered to continue exploring that activity. So you may come and shoot a bow for the first time. and do a little bit of archery practice and that's great, 
we hope you then feel empowered to um, continue building on that skill and maybe even in a couple of years come back as a mentor yourself. We love, love, love to see that. Um, really exciting. I know in Kansas, our registration actually just opened. So you can go to our website at ksoutdoors.com and go under our education tab and click on BOW and you can get registered and pay all online right there. So get out there and get registered. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like in Nebraska this year, but in Kansas, we do have some limited spots and we're keeping it to 50 participants just for everybody's safety. So uh, we hope to be back at full capacity, but join us this year. We're still going to have a good time. Nebraska has a few openings left. We're full going at a hundred. So we'll see at the time what happens between now and the first week in October, but we just have a few seats left if someone hears this and is interested in and registering. Well, maybe that's our challenge to our listeners is go check out a couple BOWs. Definitely. That would be really fun. All right. Well, Patty, thanks so much for talking to us about BOW as well. I know we had you on to talk about Rawa today, but your experience with BOW cannot be ignored and pretty cool to hear about your contributions to that program. Any last thoughts before we close out for the day? Just restate. Ask your representative to uh, support Recovering America's Wildlife Act. So uh, very excited to be here today. Thank you so much for inviting me and uh, let me um, uh, speak with all of you. Thank you. Thanks, Patty. And as a reminder to our listeners, we'll drop those links when we post the episode. So um, look for those. And if you don't go and take care of that, we're going to send Patty after you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So wait, before we close out this episode, uh, before we end with our little trademark sentence, Tana, Rachel, and I have a favor to ask our listeners. We need you to subscribe to the She Goes Outdoors podcast. And here is why you need to subscribe. It's more for you, not just us. Yeah, we, we would love for you to continue to follow us and hear us weekly. But here's why you need to subscribe. As soon as you subscribe to a podcast, you no longer have to keep track of all your favorite shows. I love it. I mean, I hit subscribe and when I'm listening to or want to hear a podcast right away in the morning, it pops up. It's right there. Uh, you no longer have to go out there and search for a new episode. It's right there when it's released. You no longer have to remember what you've listened to or where you've left off. When subscribed, new episodes will come directly to your phone automatically. Every time you open the app, the She Goes Outdoors will be waiting there for you. You know, it's like if only my cup of coffee would be automatically be ready for me in the morning. I had, I didn't even have to put the grounds in the pot. It'd just be there. Or if only supper was made every night at six o'clock. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. Just take it on. So grab your phone right now, open up your favorite podcasting app, whether it's Apple podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google podcast, wherever you follow us, that is where you need to, push the subscribe button. So just like that, perhaps it's a little witchcraft. I don't know, but who cares? It's like, voila, magically it, it shows up to your phone. I'm off my soapbox on that one, friends. <laughs> so again, thank you for joining us and we'll see you outdoors. Mm -hmm.